James chapter 1, verse 19. <clears throat> I do have one other announcement. Uh, one of the things we're doing as a congregation as we seek to take our doctrine and be deeply rooted in our doctrine and the doctrine of the scriptures and then embody that doctrine in our worship and then express that doctrine and worship in all of life in our culture as a church is we're learning to feast and have festival in God's honor like Shavas was talking about the resurrection fast. The resurrection fast is coming up in less than six weeks. Easter just sneaks up on you if you don't keep an eye on it. And so last Wednesday marks what the church has called historically the season of Lent. Lent is usually a 40-day season of fasting leading up to the feast of Easter. So you fast for 40 days, preparing your heart to rejoice over the death and resurrection of Jesus. You mourn over your sin and the lack of the presence of the kingdom of God on earth. And it's important to know both how to feast and how to fast, and not only to know how to do it, but to do it. It's important to feast before the Lord in his honor. It's important to fast before the Lord in his honor. But... In terms of Lent, we believe that 40 days of fasting and three days of feasting gets the proportions all wrong. Uh, Even under the Old Covenant, which Paul calls the ministry of death, the feasts far outweighed the fasts. Uh, And yet, fasting is important and good. So we're not encouraging you to fast for 40 days and then feast for three or one. Uh, But we do want to encourage you to be fasting during this season. So we want to set aside two full days of fasting together uh, leading up to the festival. Fasting is how we mourn over sin and evil. Fasting is for increasing our hunger for righteousness and our longing for God as we set aside our normal comforts to honor God. We honor God by rejoicing before him in feasting and we honor God by sacrificing for him in fasting. So we're asking everybody who's able to fast on the Gospel Community Wednesdays in the month of March. So that's March 8th and March 22nd. Uh, The leaders of the church are asking you to fast. Uh, What we would encourage is start the night before. You know, the Bible's evening and morning was the first day. So you follow that kind of evening to morning pattern. Start fasting the night before. Fast through the day. Um, Wednesday until you break the fast together at your gospel community, at small group. Um, And so I'd encourage the different small groups, the leaders, to start small group with a prayer and then break the fast together. So kind of culminate that fast together in a prayer to God. And what we're encouraging you to pray for is for God's glory in our church and in our town. We're encouraging you to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven to pray for the forgiveness of sins and deliverance from temptations, and also pray for the feast that's coming up, for Resurrection Fest itself, that it will honor him, that it will make much of Christ in this town, in our hearts, in our community as a church, and in the community at large, that people would see that the death and the resurrection of Jesus are the great center of all of human history, all of creation.
And so pray for that festival to honor him, to disciple us, and to baptize this town, to be used towards that end of baptizing this town, and pray for our church's protection and growth through it. So that's, those are kind of the focuses of the fast. So we'll announce these, you know, we'll send out emails as these days come to remind you, but we wanted to explain it up front and encourage you uh, to participate in fasting for the coming of the kingdom of Christ. All right, James chapter 1. This morning we're going to be in verses 19 through 21, and the title of this sermon is Receive the Word. Receive the Word. So part of the glory of James, which is a characteristic of a lot of wisdom literature, James is a kind of wisdom literature, part of the glory of James is his ability to read what theologians call God's second book, General Revelation, the book of nature, the speech of God that pours forth day and night from his creation, giving clear testimony to himself in the things that have been made. As Paul says, nature itself teaches you, if you will listen. And so James, in almost every point he makes across the book of James, includes some vivid image from nature, from the world that God has created, to illuminate his point, to to give God's special revelation in his word, illustrated by some natural metaphor. And so I've decided to use James's own metaphors to frame and set up each sermon, whatever metaphor James uses, to kind of use that to, to help our minds to approach so that we grow in wisdom. It's helpful because it illustrates the truths, and if the Bible gives you an illustration, you know it's going to be a good one. So while James bounces around between themes throughout the book of James, and especially in this first chapter, he also regularly is tying these themes together through these images that he uses by these metaphors. And so in our passage this morning, the metaphor is that of planting a seed. Last week we saw that God's the father of lights, sending his blessings down from heaven so that we can be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So we had this idea of light coming down from heaven and being used to produce fruit for God's honor and enjoyment, as we are his first fruits. This morning we'll see that theme of fruit being carried forward as we see the metaphor of God's word as the seed. God's word is the seed that bears the fruit that he enjoys. And as Jesus says, and as we read this morning, We are the soil that the seed is planted in. So while James in chapter 1 doesn't explicitly call you soil, he calls us to receive the implanted word. Receive the implanted word. What receives a seed in order for it to grow? Soil. So let's think about soil for just a minute. At my house, the soil is terrible, at least for planting. I mean, it's just awful. It's great for making bricks. My kids like to dig up the soil and pack it together and set it out in the sun, and it makes good bricks. It's almost clay. But it's not good for planting seeds. For our garden, we have to get soil from outside our property and bring it in so that the plants have a chance of thriving. Maybe some of you regenerative farming-minded people could figure out a way to fix that soil to kind of regenerate it and make it better, but I just go get better dirt and carry it in and plant in that. 
is our soil is just way too hard to receive and nurture a seed. And I think that the soil at my house is something like what James is warning us about in our passage today. We need to be receptive. We need to listen to God's word, to receive the implanted word. Because God's word is the seed, we need to be a people whose hearts are good soil, a people who listen and receive the word of God with meekness, and all of this is for God's glory and for our salvation. So that kind of primes us to understand the metaphor James is using, which helps us to gain wisdom from it. So let's read James now. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Amen? So first, there's an exhortation to listen. The point of our passage today comes as an exhortation with a gospel promise attached, and James sets it up similarly to the way he set up the last section we looked at. Last section started with a loving warning, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That's verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, which led to a reminder of God's goodness and his salvation. This time he starts with a similar loving instruction. Last time he started with a warning, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. This time he starts with instruction, know this, my beloved brothers. At both times, addressing us with love. Know this, my beloved brothers. See how he loves his hearers. See how James loves the brothers. He calls them his beloved brothers again, And again, and in this love, because he loves them, he warns them of dangers. And he instructs them with truth. And he exhorts them not to be deceived, but to know the truth. Love warns. Love teaches. Love exhorts. If you consider yourself a loving person, Do you warn people of spiritual danger? Do you tell people what God's word says? Do you exhort people to righteousness? James says, know this, my beloved brothers. In his love for them, he is instructing them. He is teaching them what God says. And what he tells them is, know this. Be quick to hear this. Receive this knowledge with meekness. And what he wants them to know is that they should listen. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to hear. Every person. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Every person. That's you. You. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Maybe you think, 
That's Rich coming from the guy who's launching now into an hour-long talk. Let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak. But consider that I spent a full day listening to God's Word in order to prepare to speak for 45 minutes to an hour. Reading, meditating, thinking, praying, listening to commentaries from others who've studied this passage, looking at the original languages to make sure I'm reading and hearing correctly. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Now, be quick to listen doesn't mean you should just take in and believe everything you hear. James is going to bring it around to show that ultimately what he wants you to listen to is God's word. But he starts more generally, be quick to listen. This is so rare on the earth, isn't it? Quick to listen. Because the world rewards those who speak first. Those who speak out first and those who speak out the loudest are rewarded. Those who speak with the most passion and the loudest voice are often the ones listened to and followed. But it shouldn't be so. We should be quick to listen. And we should listen and think and weigh and consider. And then we should follow the course of truth and wisdom, having listened and thought, and meditated, and weighed, then we should walk in the ways of truth. So when you, who's part of all people, let every person be quick to hear, when you encounter other people, do you start spouting your ideas, your stories, your thoughts? Or do you listen? Do you ask questions of others? And then listen to what they say. Do you hear people? Do you think about what they say? And if you're the kind of person who's quick to speak and slow to listen, you probably don't stop to think much. And you probably, therefore, don't notice that you're doing it because you're not being slow and reflective. So you should look this week and ask your spouse and ask your friends or ask your siblings do I listen more or do I talk more? Because it's likely that if you talk too much, you don't notice, you don't pay attention. Do I really listen to what you say? Ask your spouse that. And then listen to what they say. Give them some time to say it. Don't say, do I, I listen good, don't I? And then as they pause to think, how do I put this nicely? You jump in with an, uh, I knew I did. Thank you. I'm so glad. It's, a, it's very important to me how much I listen. I'm such a listening person. I love to listen. I'll tell you more about how to listen, right? Just ask the question and listen to what they say. Give them some time to say it. Don't interrupt them. Follow up with assurance that you want to know what they truly think and that you won't take it personally if they tell you that you talk too much. And then hear what they say and thank them. And tell them you want to go and think about it. And then go and actually think about it. And if you've been sinning in this, confess it to God. Repent. Then go back and apologize to the person that you haven't been listening to and tell them you'll be working on it. And ask for their help to point it out if you're talking too much. 
Because this is a matter of sin and folly and shame. Not listening is not just a quirk of your personality. It's a deep flaw in your character. You're commanded here by James, but it's the Holy Spirit of God speaking who commands you, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Listen to the Proverbs on this. They're full of wisdom. This is a common wisdom theme. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Don't be a fool. Take pleasure in understanding. Don't just do it begrudgingly, but learn to enjoy listening and understanding where people are coming from and what they're saying. Be interested in people and what they think and what they say. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. In conversation, listen and engage with what the other person is saying. Quick to listen and slow to speak. So often I think people will just, will just tune each other out. Thinking instead about what I'm going to say next. Right? Well, okay, it's not my turn to talk, it's their turn to talk, so this is a good time for me to ignore and listen, and this is a great time for me to stop and think about what I want to tell them whenever they get done rambling on. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to listen. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Who you can tell they're not listening to you when it's your turn to talk. They're the most boring people to talk to, aren't they? Because you can't converse with them. There's not a back and forth where you're engaging and listening and working together on an idea. It's just monologuing. And sometimes when two people like that converse together, it's just two simultaneous monologues, neither of whom are listening to the other. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Listen and hear and understand and then answer. You can't answer a question if you haven't listened to what the question was first. And I think sometimes we hear the beginning of a question and we think, oh yeah, I know what you're saying. I know, I know where you're going with this. And then we fill in the blanks and then start speaking to it. But sometimes we haven't really understood the question yet. Don't assume that you know what people mean before they say it. Let people surprise you. Make sure that you hear and understand. This is part of loving people. And it will make you likable and interesting too. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Sometimes the urge to speak feels like a hunger, doesn't it? You just feel like you have to say. But a fool gives full vent to that. A wise man quietly holds it back. When you feel like speaking and you don't, you will meet inner resistance. The wise man has to quietly hold back his words. He's dealing with resistance like a dog that wants to pull at the leash. Like dogs that want to jump at the person who's knocking at the door. Don't let them do that. Quietly hold your words back. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who's hasty in his words, quick to speak? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Hear this warning. Because if you've read the Proverbs very much, you know that there's not a lot of hope for the fool. Right? 
The fool, the Proverbs do not paint a flattering picture of the fool. And it goes really bad for the fool. And here it says that the one who is hasty in his words has even less hope than the fool. If you don't listen, you are like hard soil that can't receive a seed. Maybe you're good for being baked into a brick, but you're not good for producing fruit for God's enjoyment and honor. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to speak is similar to quick to hear. We've already drifted into this territory, but let's make sure we've thought about this thoroughly also. Listen, think, then talk. Over the course of your life, learn, read, listen, study, think, consider, and then speak about what you know. Don't just say stuff. Don't just repeat things that you hear without thinking about them. That's how propaganda spreads and peoples turn evil. We might think, it's not that big of a deal. I just kind of like to speak freely and just speak off the top of my tongue. But think about what happens when you have a society of people who just hear and regurgitate whatever they hear without thinking about it. Grave evils have been done historically just by that mechanism. And if you don't know something, that's fine. Take it as an opportunity to learn by listening. Have this phrase in your regular usage. I don't know. I'll have to think more about that. Again, let's listen to Lady Wisdom on this. Because much talk leads to sin and trouble. Proverbs 10.19 When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If you talk a lot, you will sin often. Proverbs 21.23 Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. You will talk your way into trouble if you talk a lot. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. If you talk a lot, you will get yourself into trouble and come to ruin. We need to exercise an active restraint over our lips. Do you keep your mouth and your tongue? Do you guard your lips from evil and your tongue from speaking deceit? Think of the psalmist's prayer, Lord, set a Guard over the door of my lips that I might not sin against you. James will say a few verses later that if you do not bridle your tongue, put, wrap a leash around it and hold it back, if you do not bridle your tongue but deceive your heart, your religion is worthless. A wise person doesn't say everything he knows. Proverbs 12.23 says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The wise don't parade their knowledge, they conceal it. Wise people know more than they say, but fools say more than they know. If you say stuff and people ask more questions, does what you say fall apart? Or is there more behind it that's drawn out? 
Notice that it says, be slow to speak. It's James's exhortation. Not, don't say anything. Faithfulness requires you to speak. As Paul says, we believe, and so we speak. The call here is to gain wisdom and knowledge, to listen a lot, and then to speak it. Once you've been quick to listen and slow, then speak. Speak boldly. Speak clearly. Speak courageously. Speak lovingly and speak confidently because you're speaking out of a treasure that you have first stored up and not just off the cuff. Proverbs 15.7 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. So you should speak, and when you speak, you should be speaking knowledge. You should be speaking wisdom, things you know. And wisdom is such a blessing to those around you. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Good soil receives seeds easily, readily. It germinates them, it nourishes them. And then, in due time, they sprout forth and grow and bear delightful fruit. And so it should be increasingly with us. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is an interesting thing to put here, isn't it? Slow to anger. Where does anger fit into this? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Well, quickness to speak and a quickness to anger are both examples of rashness, isn't it? Of just quickly reacting without intention, without thought, without wisdom. Of foolishly rushing in to a situation. To speak without listening is empty and doesn't do anyone any good. To break out in anger, to not be slow to anger like God is, similarly, doesn't do anyone any good. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you just burst out in a moment, it doesn't help anyone. Impulsively reacting to situations with anger won't advance the kingdom. It won't help your neighbor. It won't do any good. When you're mad, you aren't really listening, are you? Anger is not really known for being a time of reasonableness and careful thought. When you're mad, you're not pondering, you're not meditating, you're just reacting and often making things much worse. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So if out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, and we're supposed to put a leash on our tongue, how much more are we supposed to put a leash on our heart? He who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. We're to guard our heart, to rule our spirit, to be slow to anger. And so we should increasingly learn to rule our own spirits and to speak and to act intentionally according to wisdom. And in so doing, you will be a mighty warrior in the army of God. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Learn to tame and control your anger and your tongue, and you will be better than the strong. 
Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Anger can feel like power, can't it? But unless it's on a short leash, it is profound weakness and folly, and it will just drag you around and make a mess of your life. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and you will gain great understanding, and you will be slow to anger like your father is. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then we get this exhortation to clear away the weeds in verse 21. The connection between verse 21 and what comes before is not immediately apparent. It kind of feels like James just listing off good ideas, but I think there's a logic and a connection to them. Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So how do we get to therefore implies a logical connection. Therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. How do we get there from quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Calvin says this. He says, as James borrowed a comparison from agriculture, it was necessary for him to observe this order to begin by rooting up noxious weeds. Since he's talking about receive the implanted word, in order to do that, first you've got to pull up the weeds. So it makes sense to say, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Therefore, receive with meekness the implanted word. Right? If we just kind of skip down to the end, be, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Therefore, you receive with meekness the implanted word. If you're not quick to listen, you're not going to be ready to receive with meekness the word. Be quick to hear. Therefore, receive the word. But James explains that in order to be ready to receive the implanted word with meekness, first, we need to get rid of some other things. As Calvin said, rooting up noxious weeds. Because talking too much isn't the only way to shield yourself from hearing the word of God. It's one way. But also rebelling against God hardens you. And it stops up your ears. Giving way to sin makes you blind and deaf. Worshiping idols that can't see or hear makes you become like them over time. Giving way to sin and idolatry leads to God handing you over to foolishness. Have you seen people misinterpret God's word because they didn't want to believe what it says? Because they were in the grip of some sin. That's like the guy I knew in college who had very little interest in theology or the study of his Bible until he got a beautiful, unbelieving girlfriend. And then suddenly he became a scholar on fornication in the Scriptures. And lo and behold, he discovered that the Bible didn't actually teach that it was wrong. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, mentioning those who refused to love the truth and so be saved Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in 
unrighteousness. We need to deal with sin as it comes up so that it doesn't cloud our vision of God and His Word. That's why James says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness. Sin can make you spiritually defiled, filthy, unclean. There's a defilement that happens with high-handed sins that you can feel in your spirit. Do you know it? Do you know the feeling of being morally defiled by sin? James calls us to put away all filthiness. There's implied in this statement something wonderful, isn't there? There's something unpleasant, something disturbing, which is that you can be filthy by your sins. But if we're called to put away all filthiness, that implies that there's a fountain where sinners can lose all their guilty stains, where you can be washed as pure as the freshly fallen snow. Sinner, in Christ Jesus, you can be cleansed from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians. So James tells you to put away all filthiness. Confess your sins and forsake them in Christ Jesus. Trust in Christ, look to him, and you can be washed clean. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Remaining wickedness. Abundance of wickedness. What sins still cling to you? What wickedness do you have that remains? Put it away. Don't minimize it. Calling it an unhelpful choice or a spicy decision. Call your sin what it is, what God calls it, wickedness. And then put it away in Christ Jesus so that you're ready to receive the word of truth, the word of life. Often a high-handed sin that you're indulging in will fill your mind so that you can't even see the 27 other sins that you need to be working on. Deal with your sins as they come up. Weeds growing wild in your garden will steal the water and block out the sunlight needed for fruit to grow. So you have to go and pull up the weeds. And so in your life, you need to go and pull up your sin and be ready to receive the Word of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness the implanted word. James calls us to listen, and the main thing we should be listening to is the word of God. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You are a garden, and God's word is the seed. Get the seed in your heart. Do you want to be a barren, fruitless garden for the Lord? Or do you want to be fruitful and abounding in delights for your master? 
get the seed in your heart. And what's amazing is that the way this heavenly reality happens of getting the seed in your heart is by a quite earthly, ordinary-seeming means. How do you get the seed of heaven into the soil of your heart? By receiving the Word. By reading your Bible. By hearing it. It comes through your eyes when you read your Bible. It comes through your ears when you hear the Bible. And it gets into your heart and it produces spiritual fruit for God. Read your Bible. I think often we want something radical. Something that feels profound. But what you need to do is just pick up your Bible, open it up, and read it. Root out your sin and read your Bible. Study your Bible, in fact. Sit under the preaching of God's Word regularly. Come to Sunday school and go deeper in theology. Come to prayer meeting and get the Psalms deep in your bones as it shapes the way you pray. Have regular family worship in your home around God's Word. You don't have to have the newest devotional book. Devotional books are often not that helpful. You have the Word of God, the pure seed. Can it get more devotional than that? Just read God's Word. Get under... It's, it says... Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, sometimes you can just plant a seed or two, but I think what you should aspire to more than that is like one of those things you use when you want to plant grass seed in your lawn. And you put the seed into it and you spin that lever and it just flies everywhere. Get under the seed of God's word like that. Find God's word and just let it shower down on you so that the seed is just everywhere and seeds will take root and things will start to grow. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Word for receive here means to welcome and take hold of something. So welcome God's word in. Receive it and take hold of it. How do you take hold of the word so that it's not just going in one ear and out the other? You think about it. You read God's word. You hear it. And then you think about what it means about what God says don't think first. Many of us have been trained to read God's Word and then to have our next thought be, what does this make me think of? Don't do that. Read God's Word and then ask yourself, what does this say? What did the author who wrote this mean? And then you can have some thoughts in response to it later, but you're not going to have good thoughts in response to God's Word if you don't first ask yourself, what does it mean and what is it saying? Like far too often we want to bounce beyond God's Word immediately. We use God's Word as a diving board to get off into something else that makes us sound deep or profound or holy or like we've got neat thoughts, but it's the Word of God that sows the seed into us. So we just read it and then sit with it for a while. Do I understand what the author is saying and why he's saying it? And what it means. We receive the Word of God. We think about it. We meditate on it. We wrestle with it. We study it. Read commentaries to guide you. 
if you don't know where to begin or you think, I don't have a big library, if only there's a library full of abundant resources that could help you or you could check out those books and take them home with you. We have abundant resources in our own library. And on your phone right now, you could open up, if you have a smartphone, you could open up the internet and you could find John Calvin's commentaries on every book of the Bible just right there for free. Anytime you have a question. And I have read just hordes of commentaries over the course of my life. Just piles and stacks of commentaries. And I'm telling you, it's really, really hard to find anything better than John Calvin's commentaries on the Bible. And they're just all available to you. You, could, you have them in your pocket right now. Almost all of you do. Get commentaries to guide you and wrestle with them and, and think about what the Scripture means. Ponder it. Let it shape how you think of every single thing in all of life. Pray it back to God. Believe it and live accordingly. This is what it means to receive the implanted word. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, said that to read the Bible is like for the bee to land on the flower, but to meditate on it is for him to suck the nectar out. Sit with God's word and think about it and ponder it. James says, receive the implanted word, but he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. The word for meekness refers to gentleness and humility. In other words, be soft soil. Receive it with gentleness. Receive it with humility. Have an openness to God and a softness of heart so that the word comes and it just penetrates right into your heart. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be always ready to question God's word and doubt and resist and alter and adjust and recast, but just receive God's word humbly, exactly as it is. We don't always have to try to soften up God's word. God's word sometimes comes with a hard edge, doesn't it? And it's not our job to sand that off. It's our job to receive it and give thanks for it. I can tell you as a minister of God's Word who spends a whole lot of my time ministering God's Word, speaking His Word, that when God's Word is received, it is often received with at least a degree of hesitancy and resistance. You know this. We all have a tendency in our flesh to resist the Word of God when it cuts against our grain or our flesh, don't we? or the grain of our culture, or what feels like common sense, and God's Word comes and says stuff that just strikes right against everything I think and feel and want, and everything that the culture says, and where the whole world is pushing and driving. And the Word comes and confronts that, and tells us that we're wrong. But we are commanded to receive that Word with meekness, with humility, with a gentleness towards God's Word that's not ready to rebuff God's Word, but ready to receive it without harshness, but with gentleness and humility. When God speaks in his word, your job is to say, yes, sir. And be very careful with the common refrain today that's an attempt to not receive God's word with meekness. Well, that's just your interpretation. Be very careful. That tactic is used regularly today to thwart any Bible passage that we don't like. Well, that's just your interpretation. There are so many interpretations that who can really say what God's Word... I'm submitted to God's Word. 
I'm committed to believe and to obey everything that it says, but, well, what about this word? Well, that's just your interpretation of that. I mean, who can really know what it says? And so at the end of the day, we might give lip service to God's word, but we have an escape hatch that any time we don't like it, we just chalk it up to misinterpretation. But ultimately, when we do that, we're fighting against the very thing we need the most. We're fighting against God's own word. If you're disagreeing with the interpretation of your elders, it's likely that you're wrong. Look, I'm not just talking about like eschatology here or you know, the nuances of covenant theology and difficult theological topics that people have disagreed with over time and just being like, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Although, I mean, I think I'm right in all the things I think. If I thought I was wrong, I'd be changing it, right? But I'm open to the idea that I must be wrong on certain things. But what I'm thinking about when I say, if you disagree with your elders' interpretation, what I'm really thinking about is this guy that I warned this last week about his impending church discipline who assured me that my interpretation of the Bible on church discipline and on his sin particularly, my interpretation on those things is wrong. And so is that. And I said, well, it's not just mine. It's, that's the interpretation of all your elders. He said, well, you're all wrong. I said, this is how the whole church is thinking about this. Well, the whole church is wrong. Because I know. And so actually he assured me that he was fine in his rebellion because I was misinterpreting the word. Be very, very careful to take that track. If you're disagreeing with the understanding of the church throughout the ages, it's you who's wrong. What are the odds that you, on your own, figured out the true meaning of the passage apart from thousands of years of general consensus of God's people working through the Scriptures? Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. At the end of the day, all of this is God telling us to receive that which is able to save our souls. It's like you telling your toddler to eat his food. Stop spitting this out. This is what you need. The word of life is for your good. It's able to save your souls. It's for your life and your enjoyment. Receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This word that God is calling you to receive is the word of your salvation. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. All of this is God telling you, receive eternal life. Guys, stop resisting the reception of eternal life. It's sad that we need to be told this, isn't it? Guys, receive joy everlasting in Christ Jesus and stop resisting it. Receive pleasures forevermore that are at God's right hand for you. The river of delights that flows from the throne of God. Love and peace and hope and light. Receive these and don't resist them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, receive Him and don't resist Him. This is what He's saying when He tells us to receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. By grace you've been saved through faith. And how does faith come? By hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. You're saved by grace through faith, and faith comes by 
hearing. Let every person be quick to hear God's word and be saved. So let's not be hard clay that has to be cut into with incredible force and can barely produce a wilting little crop of fruit for God's enjoyment. But let's be soft soil that receives the implanted word with meekness, that listens, that pulls away all the noxious weeds of filthiness and rampant wickedness, that forsakes our sin, and then produces abundant fruit for the honor and the enjoyment of God in the salvation of our souls. Amen? Let's pray together. God, your, your word calls us fools when we don't listen. And it's true when we think about and we meditate on this, how, how foolish it is of us to resist your word, to resist the fountain of life. Thank you, Father, for your grace that has carved out ears for us to hear, that has come to us in our rebellion as we're plugging our ears and refusing to listen to the words of life that you are speaking to us. Father, thank you that you have overcome our folly and our rebellion and our wickedness. And you have implanted the word into our hearts and then granted us faith so that we can receive it and believe it. And granted us repentance so that we can put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Father, thank you. It's all of your grace. And we ask that you would use your word this morning to carve our ears deeper. That you would use your word this morning to implant faith in us. God, we want to bear wonderful fruit for your glory and your enjoyment. That's what we want. We want to be soft soil for the seed of your word. God, give us diligence in your word. Give us faith to hear and to receive your word and produce a harvest of righteousness for your enjoyment in us as individuals, in our households, in our families, in our church, and in other churches across this town and spreading out to the ends of the earth. For we ask it in Jesus' name.